in trying to say, and good morning, welcome in. Yes. You didn't, you used a phrase about the Blazers that they're hard for you to, it's not like the old days, but I'm going to share something with you about what Damian Lillard said that will, I think, encourage you to like him better and think about at least his quest. We'll get to that as we go. Yeah. It is the Joe Beaver Show, though, not the Joe Blazer Show. So we begin with open phones, and in fact, we may be in that mode most of the day. I have a couple of feelers out there, but uh, nothing back yet. I have one. Going fishing, trying to catch guests, <laughs> trying to waylay a guest or two as we come down the stretch of having been on the air consistently since August of 2019. Two weeks to go. Is that it? Yep. Nine shows. Okay. And with the respect to the Beaver baseball team, you wanted a series win, but boy, it was huge yesterday to not get swept. So if you have some thoughts about the weekend that just unfolded down in Phoenix, if you were there, we'd love to get your thoughts. What was I saw occasionally glimpses of Beaver Nation in the midst of the crowds of about 1,700, 1,800 yesterday down to 1,500 in the Sunday afternoon sunshine. We uh, were relegated to a feed from the Arizona State Sun Devils student media team that showed, I think, at times some, some proper instincts. They, I, I don't know if you watched their stream or I think Tim Healy. I don't know. I never – did you watch it? Was Healy matched up? And so what you heard I don't on think the what live I heard was stream was Healy. Healy or was that just Healy doing a radio call and the live stream – was comprised of students from the for ASU. Yes, I think it was okay. students. Okay. I don't think that was Tim Healy. I wonder how they were because, you know, again, we are at the mercy of whatever their camera angles choose to show us, and they did at times go to the wall of honor, and and they showed some different things that made me wonder, okay, yeah. are they venturing down the great Arizona State baseball history? I hope so. I hope the students are bringing that kind of into play. They'd, they'd have different shots of the flags or the, of Papago Park and the geologic formations. And mm -hmm. I wondered if they were, you know, is this a Bill Walton-type tour? And, oh, Papago Park. You know, I mean, I wondered if they were doing some geography and history as well as the baseball stuff. And if so, I would give high marks to the enterprising students at Arizona State University. But not having heard a word of what was coming out of the feed, yeah. I'd be interested to know, all things considered, what you made of it and how how much you enjoyed watching the games this weekend. One texter to the University Honda text line over the weekend, Saturday, it made me laugh because whoever this texter is is right about about yours truly coming off the Beavers game against USC last Sunday. He doesn't mention me by name, yeah. but I think I get uh, I uh, the intimation here. He, this texture, he, it could be, I don't know. This individual says, no camera angles at ASU. We had no yelling about balls and strikes. <laughs> <laughs> it, it made me laugh when I saw that text because we couldn't see them. No plate coverage. They didn't follow the ball very well. Good luck, Mike. Uh, <laughs> hard to watch. The score doesn't help. That was in the Saturday game when yeah. the Beavers were, for the only time, really, all year, other than yeah. one game you had with Oregon yeah. in a non-conference game, final score of 7 to nothing. that was the only game all year where they were kind of out of it and never got back in it. Yeah. 
they, they got away, got out early, did Arizona State, and won in a romp. And that says something. I, I, I kind of enumerated the, the walk-off losses. Beavers have seen five of them on the road. Oh. The margin of defeat to Arizona State on Saturday was the biggest margin of defeat in any Pac-12 game this year. Mm-hmm. The games have been close and you know, really tight, tense, taut, kind of thrilling ends to a lot of these games. Right. So Saturday's game was the anomaly. But the texture is right. I, I, you know, I just there comes a certain point where to exercise, you know, and, and I'm not when I hear myself back, when I know how I've engaged in, as he said, there's no yelling today about balls and strikes. <laughs> yesterday, yesterday we had I'm sorry to be laughing because, uh, oh, you're ashamed of it. Now you're laughing. Well, I guess it's nervous laughter that can come out of being somewhat ashamed. Yesterday we had a, a gathering at our house after the game, just kind of a almost a summer gathering, even though we've moved back to more of a normal kind of look today, John. Two days in a row. Now, I went kayaking on Saturday and spilled into the river, and so did my wife, Missy. We both went in. The water is already summer-like temperatures. It wasn't that cold. The amazing thing, they went again yesterday while I was calling the game. Family Mm -hmm. members went, then we had a dinner at our house after the game, sat outside, had a beautiful late Sunday afternoon, early evening gathering together in our backyard, and it was, it was great. But one of uh, the guests there, Noah, says to me, he says, he says, Mike, I, you know, he's not even really a baseball fan or a sports fan, but he has an aunt that is who listens all the time, and he was at his aunt's house and heard, he said, I was kind of, my aunt was listening, and I was in the room, and all of a sudden, you seemed really mad about something. What were you so <laughs> mad about? <laughs> So I had to, I had to pin him down. When was it? Well, I think it might have been last last weekend sometime. And so I okay, that oh, would that's be the very Sunday general. game, like the week before. Yeah. When the two one pitch to Garrett, the the one one pitch to Garrett Forrester is high and inside for ball two. Two. Uh, well, was that a? I can't remember. Was that a road game that I got? Well, no, it was USC. It was USC because yeah. I just said that that's impossible. That guy's balls no, and strikes were that's impo- terrible. And so the further that went, the more agitated I got. <laughs> there had been another game, too, where the Beavers, the, the results were not going well, and I got mad at the camera angle. That might have been at UCLA when the score was dictating anger almost more than the, the, the live streams inadequacies or the umpires missed calls here and there. But I do remember now, Noah was right. I did, I, I was, it was almost yelling, and that's wrong. That's just unprofessional and flat out wrong. So I said to Noah, Noah, never again. I'll, you know, I, how many times <laughs> have I said that? I've said it maybe for a thousand times, so I know how easy it is to quit. Yes. But he was right. Yeah, I was a little agitated by being able to see balls and strikes against USC, not being able to see them with the camera angle we had. I'm not sure I had much commentary on the strike zone. Right. So thank you, Texter, for your uh, recognition of all of that. But he did say, and what he is, uh, the Texter is correct about, no plate coverage. They didn't follow the ball very well. That is true. There were times we just had to wait, and, and I, I tried to be as patient as possible in terms of 
fly ball into right center field. And I couldn't <laughs> tell if it was a pop fly into shallow right center field or deep. And in most cases at Arizona State this weekend, they were deep. Yeah. 17 home runs yeah. in the series, nine by the Beavers, eight by the other guys. I heard you talking about that freeway also that was beyond the fence and how far it was. was highway, it Dave yeah. Kingman that I, it's, I call it King, you know, the Kingman Highway. Kingman Highway. Because according to legend, and sometimes home runs take on uh, legendary dimensions. And go farther than they did? Yeah, I think the the King, the highway, the Kingman Highway, is about probably 1,000 feet from... Uh, Then there's no way. No, I don't know if it is a thousand feet. For those of you who were down there, and I, I remember one time I did walk behind the field. Yeah. Back in the days when we used to travel and go to these ballparks, and that was just two years ago. I was down there at Phoenix Municipal, but it it feels like a different lifetime in an odd kind of way. But I was down there just two years ago, but not this time two years ago. But I remember coming into that ballpark from another angle back in the late 80s, and I, when I suffered heat stroke uh, before a ball game right. in that ballpark and you know, barely could make it into the press box after running in the 110, 111 degrees, ridiculous decision. But I was 30 and felt good and was running a lot. I can do this. It was too much. <laughs> but I remember running in behind the fence and saw – the highway, and I was on that highway before I took a left turn and came to the ballpark, and I remember thinking without measuring it, well, that's a blast, a long blast. I was thinking about Kingman yeah, and what Charlie Manuel had told me the year before, that Kingman hit one onto that highway in a spring training game between the Minnesota Twins and the San Francisco Giants in 1970. But wasn't Charlie Manuel someone who would... Um... <laughs> Well, you yes. Know, extrapolate facts. And... I'm not sure he extra- he was a storyteller. Yeah. He liked to tell stories, but that's more of a factual thing. That I mean, it may, you may consider, one may consider that an embellishment uh, to a long home run. or But It'd he be... said it hit the highway. Now, maybe it bounced off the geologic rocks and then rolled to. onto the highway. To. That highway's way out there. But I've, I've always liked to believe, and I've called it in my own mind ever since, Kingman Highway. I don't know what the name of the road is. But Dave Dave did hit maybe the longest home run I've ever seen hit. He hit it in Portland off of Phil Huffman. And it was one of the I, – I think it's possible. In fact, I know it's possible. I mean, in fact, I know it's true yeah. that in calling that home run in 1987 at Portland Civic Stadium, I called Dave Kingman's last – professional home run the last time he hit a home run as a paid professional ball player he because he was released not long after that and didn't hit another one so his last home run swinging as a a pro player was in Portland on a 3-0 pitch from Phil Huffman that sailed across uh, Southwest 18th Avenue and short hop that Oregonian building really? beyond where now the light rail yeah. rolls through behind the the soccer field <laughs> Providence wow. Park wow so, Kingman, though, that was one of those as we – and we, we have open phones, by the way, 497-5356, if you care to reflect on the games over the weekend. would love to hear how you received the games and with respect to the students and their work. I, I give them credit. Their director, his wife, Mark Rita, is the director, and Mark's wife had passed away recently, was no longer there to offer a steadying hand or maybe even advice mm-hmm. as to camera angles and so on. So they, they were shorthanded without – their professor, 
who helps them do those things, yeah. not available. So I gave them as much credit as I could, I hoped, in terms of what they were able to provide. If you want to talk about the games at all as you experienced them this weekend, and even the games as they played out on the field and whatever you'd like to share, we'll have open phones and open texts. A thought about Kingman before we break. There was a famous line from a sports writer named Frank Graham Jr. way, way back, and it's one of the best lines I've ever heard. And it was it referred to a former Yankee player, I believe, by the name of Bob Musil. <coughs> Not Musil, but Bob Musil. Mm. Kind of a surly, ill-tempered, curmudgeonly kind of guy. Not I don't know how he was with teammates, but reporters didn't like covering him. He was not congenial in any way until the end of his career. When he was coming to the end of the line, and after not really being a friend to the writers throughout his his career, in the end was almost looking, in a sense, for favors or good press from them. And he began to be a little more uh, friendly towards the writers in the end of his career on the field. But Frank Graham Jr. was not to be taken in because he wrote a line of Bob Musial, Musial that could perhaps be uh, shared about other athletes through the years, maybe lefty Steve Carlton, who late in his career finally in the end deigned to talk reporters after years of silence. But Frank Graham Jr. wrote of Musial, he learned to say hello when it was time to say goodbye. It's a great line. As sports writing lines go, that's one of the best. He learned to say hello when it was time to say goodbye. Trying late in his career to make friends with the reporters. Dave Kingman had, I felt a little bit along the lines of, and we'll go to Dan here in just a second before we break. Kingman had that kind of reputation, and I think well-earned. He Mm. was surly with the press. He once sent a dead rat to a reporter. Susan Pornoff, I believe, was her name, working for the Sacramento Bee. She opened a package, and it was a dead rat, and it was from Dave Kingman. Why? Uh, Didn't like what she wrote? Perhaps it's possible that he took some exception to how what she had written about Kong, about Dave Kingman. Wow. That was not that many years before I actually met him in the bowels of Civic Stadium. I approached him with trepidation because of the off and the uh-huh, rat and uh-huh. just the bad reputation that he had. He had just finished BPs walking underneath, you know, coming out of the cage and uh-huh. walking through the bowels of Civic on his way to his own clubhouse. And I said, Mr. Kingman, uh, Mr. Kingman, Dave, do you have, would you have time for a pregame interview? smilingly walked over, absolutely, sure. You, what, do you want to do it right here or go back out on the field? I said, excuse me, are you Dave Kingman? <laughs> <laughs> but he was great. Through the interview, too? Yeah, and we talked about him being born in Hamilton and, you know, how much he loves the state of Oregon. Wow. Uh, what he was trying to do in, in signing a AAA contract with the Giants. Did he feel like he'd been blackballed in the major leagues? His final year as an everyday DH with Oakland in 86, he hit 35 homers and then couldn't get a job. And he went down the road with all of those answers congenially and cordially. One of, the, one of my favorite interviews Did ever. Did you say he was born in Pendleton? Yes. And I think grew up. I don't know how old he was when he left, but he was born in Pendleton. Yes. Well, I didn't know that. Let's go to Dan. But Kingman 
was maybe learning how to say hello when it was time to say goodbye, but I, yeah. I got an interview with him and called his last professional homer, and it was a majestic wallop. And that's why when I think of Phoenix and Municipal Stadium and that highway running behind left field, it'll always be for me because of what Charlie said and what I saw Dave do in Portland, Kingman Highway. <laughs> Dan, thanks for the call. Good morning. Welcome to the Joe Beaver Show. Good morning, Mike and John. I have one question. Uh, do you know how many fans, if any, they're going to allow for the U of P baseball game on Tuesday? You know, that, that's a good question. Uh, I will ask Jason Bro, who is their sports information director. I think it's a very limited number. And, in fact, I learned, just to let you know, uh, that, you know, I'm going to go up tomorrow and broadcast the game in person, a novel experience I'm looking forward to, and I'll call it in person up there on the road. But before I was in, granted entree, I said, they said, you'll need to be here by 2.30 for an antigen test to, to clear you to come into the game. So it makes me think that that uh, fans, if that's the case for me coming in, I'm not sure about fans at all. You know what I'm saying? I, I'll ask. I'll ask mm -hmm. Jason specifically. It might just be a very limited pass list. But I asked Jason. Then when I wrote back, I said, does it matter? This is kind of a, you know, a little glimpse into the window of our world and how it's working now, at least on this specific. I wrote him back and said, does it matter that I'm fully vaccinated? I am fully vaccinated. He wrote back and said, no. An hour later, wrote back, oh, upon further review, yes, if you have proof of vaccination, come on in. So I'm going, nice. you know, I'm going up. I'll call the game from there. I wasn't sure I was going to go up. For several reasons, 2.30 with a 5 o'clock game and other responsibilities, even maybe part of the Joe Beaver show here, was going to make that difficult. And wasn't sure I was thrilled about the test either when I've been vaccinated. So I wasn't sure I was going to go. You know what I'm saying? I thought I might just stay and call the game remotely. But I am going up. I'll ask Jason during our first break here, Dan, if there's any fans uh, allowed in. What's the reason? If the answer is yes, are you going to try to get a ticket? I've already got a ticket through Brian Long, his uh, future son-in-law, Connor Lambert. So he's already offered me tickets, but, and they want to bring my uh, proof of vaccination as well. Yeah, okay. So I don't know if you don't have that, whether you you would be subject to a test, perhaps, a rapid turnaround. But you can't be there by 2.30. I mean, who can be there by 2.30 for, <laughs> for a 5 o'clock game, or who would want to be? Exactly. Um, a couple other things I want to talk about. Uh, I'm the guy that uh, was mentored by uh, Carl Hutzler at oh, Corvallis yeah. High School. Yeah. And he's uh, turning age 90 in a week or two, and I'm sure that uh, probably the Reynolds brothers will probably be down there. But uh, he has told me so many stories. You know, you guys were talking about Willie Mays' uh, birthday yeah. a week or so ago. And Carl had some great Stories. I guess uh, he played for a uh, Naval Academy team, and Willie Mays played on an Army team, and they played two four-game series against each other. And Carl's job on the military base, he was greenskeeper for the baseball field and drove a military vehicle and delivered sporting goods supplies to the different barracks. And a couple of his friends were in charge of the pool hall, so he would sneak in there. And while they were playing uh, the Army team, Willie Mays snuck in to play pool, 
and he and Carl played several games of pool. Oh, wow. And he challenged Willie Mays to a home run hitting contest <laughs> oh. at the baseball field. They turned on the lights. Oh, my gosh. And Carl went first, hit a few over the center field fence. And Willie, he said, was not built. He wasn't a tall man, but no. just strong and stout. And he started hitting balls that they lost them over the light. <laughs> and he said he will never forget it. <laughs> and then he has another story. He was the second baseman on the team, and Willie hit one to uh, right field in one of the latter games and was trying to turn a double into a triple, and there was a relay to Carl, and he tried to throw Willie out at third base. Willie slid in safely, but he broke his leg. Oh, my gosh. And But obviously recovered and went on to a great career. And one other story of, of interest, um, he was in the minor leagues. Carl played 10 years, and he was in the Red Sox organization for a while, and they'd have these bus trips where they have, they'd have to go to the South. And they had one black player on their team, a guy named uh, Pumpsy Green. Yes. And they went into uh, restaurants in the South, and, of course, they'd seat everybody and then see Pumpsy and say, you've got to go uh, order around the back and sit on the bus. Well, Carl would take a menu, order for Pumpsy, and he would sit on the bus and have uh, meals with Pumpsy Green while the rest of the team ate inside, and I guess they became extremely good friends. And he got a, a short call-up to the Boston Red Sox. I think he was the first black player in the American League. Yes, he was. And wasn't, treat, well. wasn't treated very well, and they finally honored him before he passed away as the first a black player, but Carl is just has these amazing stories about his minor league career and people he had brushes with. Well, Dan, you may you inspired us to have a, a really enjoyable show last year uh, surrounding his legacy, and we may need to hit him up again if he. We'd love to get some of those thoughts. Pumpsy Green, not the first black player in the American League, but he is he is distinguished for being the first player for the Boston Red Sox, first black player okay. in the history of the Red Sox. And it came late, like 1958, I think you're right. And that, and Boston's uh, history has always been somewhat suspect when it comes to the race relations in sports, and, and that's often pointed to that Pumpsy, you know, it took the Red Sox until 58, 11 years later, to have a person of color on their roster. Yeah. Well, you know, like I said, Carl's almost 90 years old and sometimes repeats himself and is, isn't confident enough to come on okay. and uh, talk on radio. But I'll tell you what, the stories he uh, shares with me on his weekly call, they just keep me entertained. Uh, and just every time I learn something new about oh. his past, which is really incredible. That Willie May story is very good. Mm -hmm. I can see Willie's Competitive. Oh, okay. You hit a couple of balls over the fence, huh? <laughs> okay, Mr. Uh, Mr. Crawl, watch this, and then hit some out of sight. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, one last thing yeah. before I leave, too, is I guess uh, there's a book coming out on the history of the Eugene Emeralds. and I guess Carl had about two or three of his favorite uh, minor league years in Eugene. And I think, like again, I think it's called the Encyclopedia of 
the Eugene Emeralds that came out, and I guess there were a lot of major league players that oh, went yes. through uh, yes. Eugene in the day. So that's out? That book is out as far as you know? Well, Carl got sent a uh, copy by the author. I, I don't know the author by name okay. or anything, but uh, he interviewed Carl, and there are some of his pictures in there. And he was Good. kind enough to send him a book. I will look into that one, too. I wonder if that was Steve Mims. A lot. I don't think it was Mims, Doc. I don't think that would necessarily be up his alley, although he, he could do it. Yeah. But I'm not sure. We'll look into that. I think it, yeah, I think it was somebody that had contacts with the Eugene Register Guard, if I'm not mistaken. But he said it was a younger person, about age 35. That's all I was, could get from Carl. Interesting. Dan, are you? did you send me an email? Are you the connection to Sonny Long, Brian Long's son? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm friends with uh, David and uh, Brian and the oh, family. Good. good. I've known them for a long time. Well, I was a pesky little freshman when they were upperclassmen in high school. I don't know if those guys would remember me, but I saw Sonny just a couple of years ago. Yeah, Sonny's uh, retired and living, in, I think, in the battleground area, but he was still helping uh, <clears throat> uh, David coach uh, basketball at Columbia River High School and Ironically, one of my fraternity brothers, uh, Jim Seaball, is the assistant coach. Hmm. So it's just a small world. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Dan, thank you. Thanks again for keeping us updated <laughs> yeah. and apprised on, on a great baseball man and a guy that clearly has influenced many lives in Carl Hutzler. Thanks for the stories today. We appreciate it again, Dan, and hope to hear from you soon. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you, Dan. Let's take a break on that note. Four nine seven fifty three fifty six. If you have any thoughts about the Beaver baseball weekend, how you received it on the stream, nine homers by the Beavs. Anything jump out at you about yesterday's win, the weekend's games, whatever you want to share, feel free. Uh, we have the University Honda text line available. Yesterday's win, a big one though, because now, yeah. I think they have a great shot to win the series at home against Arizona. And with yesterday's win, if they combine to do that, then I think they're in great shape going to Palo Alto, where, again, my just get into the tournament. You know, yeah. Whatever issues you got, yeah. whatever issues you're trying to sort out, both in, on the mound to start games and even bullpen effectiveness and roles and out of close games, there have been some things off and on during the course of the year. It's been somewhat up and down and a mixed bag. We get that. We see it. We know it. I still think there's plenty of big-time talent mm-hmm. up and down that uh, pitching roster and some guys beginning to emerge swinging the bat, maybe even maybe even Jacob Melton in some role down the stretch. But th- they've got to find their way in first like the 2007 club did and then get in and then see what you can do with that. But they're, they're not quite in, quote-unquote, yet in my view. I still think they need to win a few more games. And it starts tomorrow against Portland up north and this weekend at home against Arizona. If you have some thoughts, feel free. 497-5356-1240, Joe Radio. COVID has changed a lot of things in our lives, and it can be hard for anyone. If you're struggling to cope, you don't have to go it alone. There's strength in reaching out. When you call the Safe and Strong Helpline, you can find support in your community. It's free and private, so your information won't be shared. Call 800-923-HELP to connect with someone who's ready to listen and who cares. That's 800-923-4357.
We're stronger in community. Hi, I'm former Oregon State athlete Tim Ewis, your Corvallis Edward Jones financial advisor. Financial investments are very important, but so are the investments of time, patience, and encouragement our young athletes receive from their coaches, teachers, and mentors. That's why Edward Jones is a proud sponsor of Oregon State and area high school sports. Call me, Tim Ewis, at 541-758-8245 or stop by my office in the Timber Hill Shopping Complex in Corvallis for all of your investment needs. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. Go Beavs. Right now at your local Domino's, you can carry out any size pizza with unlimited toppings for only $12.99 when ordering to carry out at the store, by phone, or online with a C12 code. Also, Domino's is now hiring for all positions. Domino's offers flexible hours, pay raises, and bonuses for managers and drivers leave with cash in their pocket after every shift. Apply online at Domino's.com or stop by the Domino's store in Monmouth, Staten, Lebanon, Albany, or Corvallis. Domino's, delivering oven-baked goodness since 1960. Have you tried to trade in or sell your RV? Was the offer from the RV dealer embarrassingly low? Guarantee will give you $500 if we can't beat any Oregon dealer's written offer on your late model RV in good condition. My name is Tanya and I live in Harrisburg. We used our trailer a few times last fall and it was just too small for our family. Guarantee made us a good faith offer for our RV that we couldn't refuse. Now we have the perfect RV and the kids love the bunk beds. Trailers, fifth wheels, toy haulers, motorhomes, they all qualify for cash for campers. My name is Chet and I live in Eugene. Guarantee made it so easy. They picked up my old RV and swapped it out for a brand new one with plenty of storage and a beautiful new kitchen. Uh, they even paid off my existing loan. Text sell my RV to 55678 for special offers or visit guarantee.com. That's sell my RV to 55678. Guarantee RV. Here to help you sell or trade your RV with no hassles and no gimmicks. The all new MTO3 features an aggressive and predatory twin eye face that projects serious style and along with its high-spec inverted front fork and potent twin-cylinder engine, the MTO3 is ready to rule. So visit Power Motorsports today and find out why MTO3 provides the most dynamic ride in the class. Get your new Yamaha from Power Motorsports online at powermotorsports.com. Dress properly for your ride with a helmet, eye protection, riding jacket, or long sleeve shirt, long pants, gloves, and boots. Do not drink and ride. It's illegal and dangerous. That's how that works. So you went down the hall and found out Peter Weber, eh? Yeah, he'll join us. Peter Weber, executive director of the Oregon Schools Activities Association, will join us at 12.05. And uh, we'll talk. There's a number of things that I, uh, questions I have for him concerning high school sports and what has happened already and what's to come. 12.05 for Peter Weber. We have open phones. Also tonight, I'm looking forward to it and hope you'll uh, join us. The virtual state tour begins tonight. We're going to have five stops along the way, virtually. I'll be in the same spot every time, the basement of Gill Coliseum, but we have every coach uh, at Oregon State sharing along the way. And beginning tonight, the head coach of all, <laughs> Vice President, Director of Athletics, Scott Barnes, and Jonathan Smith. And it's wide open. It's a free event, so you can register now. They, they would prefer it if you would register and do so in advance, and you can do that any time now before the event at 6 o'clock tonight. The earlier, the better. How do you register? OSUBeavers.com. If you go to OSUBeavers.com, the first thing you'll see will be all the information about the virtual state tour. So, and it'll guide you through the registration process. It's free and it's easy. Scott Barnes on the latest on the completing research project and other matters. 
a comment or thought from his perspective on George Klyovkov. Are you saying it's not true, John? Because I was told earlier today you hit osubeavers.com, and the first no, thing you is. see is the virtual state tour. Okay, thank I just you. hold my hand that way sometimes. Gotcha. And then uh, Jonathan Smith on a number of things, a summing up of spring practice and just sort of an in-depth look on Jonathan's part at all position groups coming up out of the uh, recently completed spring practice heading into fall. So Scott Barnes, Jonathan Smith on the first stop of the state tour tonight, 6 to 7. Go to osubeavers.com to register, and we look forward to uh, visiting with many. There will be a way you can participate and ask questions via a portal. Uh, that will that's also contained there you can submit questions in advance and we'll try to get them to Scott and Jonathan and the other guests along the way over the next couple of weeks on the state tour we'll go to Ken first and then Tumwater as we roll back into some open phone opportunities which will be in much of the show today on the downward dog phone line so Dave hang on he's on deck let's go to Ken up first Ken thanks for the call welcome to the show Hey, guys, hey, I just wanted to get your take, Mike. I know you're not, maybe not allowed to give your opinion sometimes on baseball, but I was just wondering what you thought of the lineup. Um, I know Mitch seems to employ a professional-style lineup. I'll call it that for lack of a better term. Not the traditional one-run-at-a-time kind of the Pat Casey small ball lineup where you have a leadoff, traditional leadoff hitter and a guy that can bunt your number two guy, your best hitter number three, your RBI guys kind of follow it up with, he always liked to put a fast contact hitter to the number nine guy with Brian Gibson types in that spot. doesn't seem like Mitch employs that as much because he's got Ober batting second, and Ober's not what I would consider a contact hitter or back control kind of guy, guy willing to take a ground out to move a runner. I just wanted to know what you thought about, because he, he's changed the lineup a lot this year, and I was just wondering what you thought and what, what you would maybe consider um, the, the optimal lineup if you're allowed to give your opinion on stuff like that. What do you think? <laughs> well, Kent, uh, thanks for the question. I, I laugh only because if, if I'm allowed to. I think I'm allowed to. I mean, I think I could probably hold forth here and give my opinion on a lot of things. And even if they weren't uh, necessarily received well by certain, uh, certain people in, in, in their offices and so on, I don't think that I would be summarily dismissed. You know what I'm saying? If I gave opinions that, that yeah. were contrary to uh, the, the line of thinking that, that coaches and, and others engage in when it comes to our teams and our athletics. Now, that being said, even though I feel like I could – I'm not necessarily <laughs> – I, I, I value the relationships. I value the work and the job that I have. And in my world, being the voice of the Beavers, uh, I think my, generally speaking, I am uh, working with and for and on behalf of the student athletes and the coaches that I'm calling the games for. And so that said, that may seem like a precursor to and – and therefore, I disagree with many things, but you're never going to hear that from me. No, that isn't what I'm saying at all. I've watched Mitch this year tinker with, as you said, you know, a number of lineup changes. Of late, Ryan Ober has been in the two-hole, and there have been times that I've thought, well, he doesn't – I agree with you. I agree with your, your main observation that he's not the prototypical classical two-hole guy if the idea is to get a pesky fast guy on and then you either hit and run or bunt or straight steal or whatever else 
Ober uh, ha has quite a few swings and misses in his game. Uh, he's not asked to bunt a good deal. He does have some sacrifice bunts. And he's got he's actually got some pretty good power for a two-hole hitter, as we saw with a big home run yesterday. So I've looked at that and wondered, there must be, you know, there, there's got to be a reason that he's consistently in that two-hole. The leadoff spot has changed. Meckler uh, looked like he was emerging into that role. And whether he was out yesterday due to concussion protocol, perhaps, or just because of matchups with Kai Murphy, a crafty lefty, starting the game and they want a different direction, these are things I'm not able to ascertain as readily as I might have in a, quote, normal year, where in the past – Pat Casey, Pat Bailey, and others have been uh, very open and accessible hours before games for me to sit down in an office and kind of hash these kinds of things out. You know what I'm saying, Ken? I, I, I used to have time, and on road trips, on hotels, on, on airplanes, to, to kind of get into what and it, it, Pat was always willing, Coach Casey was willing to kind of share, well, we're, we're hitting this guy here because this is his skill set. We thought about moving this guy here, but he's not really as adept at this, so we have him in this spot. Those are conversations that I value greatly, can learn a lot of things in those conversations that would shape the way I could present material on the air. I've just got to tell you, in 2021, while Mitch and Ryan and others are accessible to me for our pregame radio interviews, and occasionally I'm able to get to them off, off of that and just have a conversation and talk shop, those opportunities are limited. And being able to sit in an office in a clubhouse atmosphere or on the field in the dugout after BP and get some insight into the decision-making uh, you know, how the bullpen and all of that is set up, why certain decisions were made uh, when this person came in or why they didn't bunt here but did bunt here, why this guy hit in this spot in the lineup. Those are, those are good questions and fair questions, Ken. Uh, I, I, I am not educated enough this year by the limitation of the circumstances to have good answers for you. Uh, I, too, I'll just say this. I've wondered about Ober as a prototypical two guy, but he's been in that spot a lot of late, and, you know, his, he's been swinging it pretty well of late. His productivity has improved. And, and so, you know, I can't come away from this weekend quibbling with how Mitch put a lineup together. To be perfectly honest with you, he's the head coach and knows what these guys do day in and day out in the cage, what they're doing and the things they're working on on the side, whether to bunt or not to bunt. This was not a weekend to be doing much bunting, even though Ober hit into a double play in one occasion after a leadoff guy got on, and I was thinking just sort of the old wheels rolling in my mind. This might be a good time to move the runner, bang into a double play on the next pitch. But when you, hit, when you have 17 home runs flying out of that ballpark, you have Ryan Ober who's capable of leaving the yard, then I can see why the bunt wasn't in order there. But sort of the old tapes go through my head. This is where Casey would bunt here. And I think what you're saying is uh, yeah. Mitch's approach is different. But Pat would not bunt when the ball's flying and howling out of the ballpark much either. I mean, every circumstance is different. And every lineup each game, it's a little bit different. You're right. He's tweaked it. He's looking for the best possible combination to maximize productivity. And I still think that's a work in progress, too. As long as all of that, and I believe it will, will come into shape, 
come this weekend with Arizona, the following weekend at Stanford and into postseason, I think you'll see them settle a little bit more on what they feel is the best way to go about the attack. So in the meantime, Ken, I understand your questions and even some of your maybe your musings. If you want to share something now about your own, feel free, but that's the best shot I've got for you today. Well, I, I just think it's interesting. You have a, a Mitch coming from a professional background where moving runners is not the norm anymore. We know that with launch angle and all the different things that they're doing. So I, I'm always screaming at the TV, you know, I love the bunt. I, I think in college baseball, the pressure game where you get a guy on base and you pressure the defense into making plays, fielding the bunt, uh, moving a runner to second. Now you've got a guy out of the stretch. Um, worried about a guy and a base hit scoring a run. Um, I like that kind of baseball, and I think Oregon State has benefited over the years from playing the small ball game with good pitching. Um, and I, I understand this weekend was different. Um, you know, when you when you're playing, I just don't like playing to other teams' strengths, trying to hit the long ball. Not that we were trying; we just right, were. Right. There was a couple. There was a couple plays. I think. Justin Boyd is a, is a future superstar on this team. I think he is the prototypical beaver, beaver player. The guy can bunt. The guy can run. He can also drive the ball. He a, has a great um, uh, box awareness, strike zone awareness. He doesn't, he doesn't chase. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Forrester. Those are the prototypical Casey players that work the counts but still can move the ball and bunt if needed. And I, I'd love to see Boyd in the number two hole or even Joe Casey, who I've been critical of. The guy is a fantastic bunter, mm-hmm. and I wish he'd bunt more. I wish they had him bunting a lot more often because the guy is an amazing bunter. He's mm-hmm. one of the best bunters I've seen in a long time. Uh, I just don't I, – I wish we had employed it more. But I'm not, I'm not Mitch, and he's, the, he's getting paid to make the decision. I'm just a, a guy sitting on my couch watching games, so – uh, I just like that kind of baseball, and I think it would benefit us more if we if we did more. I, I know a lot of people have a take on that, but that's sure. just my take. Ken, it's great to get your take. Thanks for making uh, the call to the show. Let's just see how this all plays out down the stretch. I'm sure we'll have yeah. more to talk about in the next couple of weeks. Thanks for joining us, Ken. We appreciate it. You, you bet. Go Beef. Dwight James hates the bunt. He hates when I he just he he Dwight is of the old he's an old school baseball guy I know. too and he and loves it, college baseball and he but he just thinks that he even Pat he said I love Pat but I thought he butted too much and so when he's seen he's he's complained to me this year that Mitch is butting too much then we get Ken saying <laughs> you know what I mean and I, I, know. I respect it's Dwight very surprising. I respect Dwight's baseball acumen and his love for the sport and yeah. his lifelong soaking in it so. There's Ken saying we're not doing it enough. You have Dwight up there watching every game saying they're doing it too much. Yeah. I'm not sure I, I'm not sure which is accurate. It's probably somewhere in the middle. Now, let's go to the great north and Dave from Tumwater. Dave, good morning. Uh, good morning, fellas. Uh, Mike, I'm going to ease into this conversation a little bit, but hitting on uh, some of the same themes, uh, different uh, – uh, species, but the same genus uh, that, uh, that Ken was on, and I don't pretend to have kind of the technical knowledge of the game that he gave evidence of. But first, Mike, let me say I was very impressed. And I don't want to say surprised, but I was very impressed 
with your working knowledge of Mickey Mantle's blast off of Chuck Stobb. Uh, <laughs> now, you, Mike, are probably too young to remember, but someone like Dominic out there or Doug Blair, uh, people closer to my age, may remember the Topps baseball cards in the late 1950s, certainly no later than 1960, would issue what I would call kind of thematic cards. In other words, they were outtakes or single-game, single-play episodes from recent baseball history, right. and it would become a part of your checklist. Mm-hmm. And there were two that related to Mickey Mantle, that one, off of Chuck Stobbs. And, uh, and I, by the way, I thought that distance was longer than you cited. If we have time, maybe you can go into that. Another one of the mix was one time he hit a ball off the facade overhanging the right field grandstand at the old Yankee Stadium. And I think that was someone did the trigonometry or the geometry mm-hmm. and figured that if it hadn't hit the facade, it might have gone 700 feet. <laughs> <laughs> like Reggie's homer in the 71 All-Star game. Yes, yes. Well, yes, like off the light stand, right. it was great. Yeah, that would have been that would have been in that caliber. Another one, and I'll stop on this vein. Willie Mays' over the shoulder catch the nineteen fifty four World Series. So, so let me just stop there and ask. I want to go into the weekend series. Did you, in fact, have any working knowledge of those baseball cards? Yes. Or had you come to the Chuck Stobbs lore? independently somehow. Well, I had, I don't have it anymore, I once had a baseball card of the catch. You know, there's a card of Willie as he's in the process of making the over-shoulder catch. It's kind of a blurry image on a baseball card, but I had that. It almost looked like it was watercolor painted is how it looked, but I had that card yeah. at one time. And then they, I had seen a baseball card of the Chuck Stobbs, the, but, and, and I'll stand with, and I think Brooks Hatch would confirm, and if Brooks confirms, the, the number that I was always told and read in baseball cards and baseball literature was 565 feet for that home run at Griffith Stadium off of Chuck Stobbs with Mickey batting from the right side. But I thought I saw, I think I had a card or something that had a dotted line showing the arc of the ball on the card, Mickey finishing the swing, and then this dotted line up out over the stadium into the parking lot. Uh, I, I think I saw an image of that when I was very young, and the number 565 stays with me. I think that's accurate. But you never saw the one off the off the facade. I did not. I've read that about card. that. I have read about that one, but I I've not seen a card or or read as much about that one, the potential seven hundred footer, as I did the one that was measured at five sixty five. Okay, very good. Well, let's move on to the weekend series. And so first, Mike, I completely agree. Sunday's yesterday's win was huge. Uh, one might almost call it red, call it redemptive, and I and I used <laughs> I used that word mm-hmm. uh, advisedly. Uh, and and as you know, Mike, we've talked about this before. Some losses are just far more difficult to recover from others, and uh, that was a very difficult loss uh, Friday night. And you could kind of see it, I thought, by the way things played out on Saturday. 
because the beeves were out of it early. And if only to look, actually, in recent beaver history, look at Arkansas's body language and the way they came out for Game 3 in Omaha, the way Game 2 ended. Uh, so th- that's a thing. Uh, and it's all the more to the credit to, to the coaches and the players. Uh, that, that could have tumbled further downhill, but they recovered. They got the one game they absolutely had to have. So let me, that's just kind of prologue to the main point, which is uh, uh, moving over into Ken's vein, although I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to comment. Uh, this is just, I, I always call from the fan perspective. I hope you gentlemen remember, I don't know when it was exactly, I want to say February, maybe late January, you had Pat Casey on the show. Uh, maybe it was, I mean, all these months are now just beginning to flow in uh, together. Uh, it's hard mm-hmm. to kind of separate chronology. But you had Pat on the show, and John was driving the argument, as only John can when it comes <laughs> to challenging Pat Casey. Uh, John asked him about what the role of analytics are. And I, I think I know what John's take uh, is on this. I think it's to some extent it overlaps yours, Mike. The question was, Pat's response was, you have to study that stuff. But by the same token, this I vividly recall, I think I can almost quote Pat in this regard, you also have to watch the game that's playing out in front of you. In other words, you have to look at what you're seeing right on the field with your own two eyes. And to me, Mike, there's just been an astonishing number of cases you, you cited, I think, yesterday's broadcast, five or six games this year that kind of played out the way Friday nights did. And they all played out for the very same reason. There was a, a tendency to take the hot guy out too early, and when you bring in the cold guy, to stay with them too long. That's become kind of an Achilles heel with this coaching staff's management of the bullpen. We see it now almost on a week-to-week basis. And I just hope that if the team does get into the postseason, that they take Pat Casey's advisor to heart. Yeah, you can study the analytics. You need to look at the pitch count and the matchups, et cetera. But you've got to watch what's playing out in front of you with your own two eyes. And don't get committed to a decision. Don't make a decision any earlier than you need to. If a guy has been hot in the eighth inning and your inclination is to maybe bring in the new guy in the ninth, but the guy finished strong in the eighth, what's to hurt with letting him face the first batter in the ninth inning? If he walks the guy, so be it. You've got somebody else you can bring in. But as often as not, the tendency The past is prologue. If the pitcher was strong the previous inning, he's likely to start out in the same mode in the next inning. But you never know what the new guy is going to bring to bear. So, there. I said my piece. Thanks for hearing me out. (laughs) Uh, If you want to dialogue about this, that's fine. But if you want to cut me me loose at this point, I'd understand Yeah, and we do have, we're coming to the top of the hour, and our good friend Paul is waiting on deck. So I'm Dave on that. Paul is my escape route. I'm going to go to Paul here now. <laughs> Appreciate the call. Thanks for making it. And we hope to talk again down the road later in the week, perhaps. Take care. Thank you, Dave. Now, Paul is here. 
on the downward dog phone line. I, my only response to that is de pitching decisions are not being analytically driven. I, I just, I know, I, without even saying, Rich, are you making decisions on analytics? No, they're watching the game in front of them and making decisions accordingly. Now, when the decision doesn't always, quote-unquote, work out, it's very easy to come back and say, well, you should have, mm. and, well, why didn't they? Yeah. But if it does work out and, the, and Jake comes in and gets three quick outs like he's often done in his life and they expected him to do the other night, you say, well, of course you go to the all-time leading closer. But when it doesn't work out, well, why didn't you stay with the other guy? Why? I understand. I understand that we all sit after the fact. And, and Mitch said on Saturday something very true to me on the pregame show. Yeah. He said, everybody in Beaver Nation, uh, all of us, People are invested in this program. They're invested emotionally. They're invested financially in a lot yeah. of ways with tickets and donations and membership in the dugout club and helping to advance facilities. And so people are invested in this program and all of the fans, they care deeply. And so when we lose like that, it hurts. And it hurts, it hurts all of us. It hurts everybody. And then you have an opinion and you want to grapple with it. And why didn't they? And so Mitch, while I know may not, who knows, whether he ever frequents the social media sites and so on, I don't, but I get reports sometimes that people are questioning this or that or why this and why that, and, mm -hmm. I, and he gets that. He totally gets it. But I, speaking, I don't want to speak for him completely, but they are they're good baseball men who, with good instincts and good coaching, and some of the moves haven't, worked out they they don't always work out but it doesn't mean that they were necessarily the wrong move it's easy after the fact to say well it was because it didn't work out. Mm -hmm. yeah. well, I, I don't think I mean, that's... yeah i don't think they're making decisions based on well he's reached his limit and we're taking him out now i really don't i think they do ride the hot hand and yeah. maybe you know i i did say i said about Munt and Mulholland, I said they left Joey in last week and he got a save against USC. We'll see if they'll roll that over here and apply that theory to this game tonight at ASU. They didn't. They brought in Jake, a fresh Jake Mulholland, mm -hmm. the all-time saves leader. Hard to quibble with that. And as uh, Ryan Gibson and Canham both said, they do it again in terms of what he means and what he's meant in those situations. Paul, good morning. Welcome to the Joe Beaver Show. Not good morning, guys. Hey, I agree with uh, what old Mr. Dave said there, and especially, uh, I don't know, was it a couple of weeks ago or last week when uh, uh, Watson, or is it the left-hander Watson, right? Watkins. Watkins, yeah. He came in and threw one pitch and got an out, but then they put in another pitcher. He only threw one legal pitch in the whole game, yeah. and he got the win. Yes, he did. But and then the, guy the next they, time the guy they brought, they brought him out in the next the inning, and it didn't work out so yeah, well. Yeah, that's true. That's right. Yeah. You're, you're right. So anyway, I want to just bring your attention. Uh, our own uh, Knights, uh, Mitch Haniger, is leading the majors in home runs. Is it the majors or the American League? Do you know the home the whole majors? Is he? I think you're right. With 14, correct? Oh, that's great. No, he's got 12. Oh, 12. He's, he's actually he's actually tied with somebody else. Yeah, but there's two guys. 12 and 3 with 11, but he's actually tied for the lead in the majors. So 
And, and he was on base four times yesterday. He had two doubles and two walks. So uh, thanks for that, Paul. We gotta, oh, go. we gotta go. Here's the microphone. Is this thing on? This is KEJO Corvallis. Everybody hear me? We're on in five. And QID. Twelve forty. Joe Radio. I'm Jim Chesko with your money now. Since 2019, Amazon has been using a program designed to minimize workplace injuries at some of its locations, and it's now starting to roll it out across its U.S. network. The program, Working Well, provides employees with physical, mental, and nutritional support, plus other services. The e-commerce giant says the goal is to reduce recordable workers' injuries and illness by 50% by the year 2025. U.S. stocks are in the red today. The Dow Industrials down 100 points. The S&P 500 lower by 20. The tech-heavy Nasdaq's down 125, almost 1%. U.S. oil prices posted solid gains. June crude up another 90 cents to settle at 66.27 a barrel. Twitter is planning to launch a subscription plan called Twitter Blue, which will cost users $3 per month. Twitter Blue includes a feature to undo a tweet and another for bookmarking. Twitter is said to be working on a tiered subscription model, which could mean that less cluttered premium experience for the paying uh, customers. That's your money now. Innovation. Resilience. Agility. It's how Michigan businesses work together and continue to build the future. Our expertise, talented workforce, and collaborative environment are making a difference now and shaping the future. Join us and make your mark where it matters. Visit michiganbusiness.org radio to put your plans in motion. That's michiganbusiness.org radio. Only T-Mobile for Business uses unconventional thinking to help businesses realize new possibilities like our WFX solutions enabled by our nationwide 5G network that help teams stay connected and productive where work happens. We also provide an award-winning customer experience and first-class benefits with every plan. Get unmatched network support and value without any trade-offs at T-Mobile.com slash unconventional. Capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require a certain plan or COVID has changed a lot of things in our lives, and it can be hard for anyone. If you're struggling to cope, you don't have to go it alone. There's strength in reaching out. When you call the Safe and Strong Helpline, you can find support in your community. It's free and private, so your information won't be shared. Call 800-923-HELP to connect with someone who's ready to listen and who cares. That's 800-923-4357. We're stronger in community. Every Qdoba catering order is a fresh-made Mexican feast of hand-smashed, flame-grilled, sliced, diced, and sautéed flavors perfect for any occasion. Whether you're planning your office's tortilla Tuesday, hosting a post-game party for your intramural dodgeball team, or trying to bring in a dinner for your PTA meeting that's so good, it'll bump your kid up to an A-minus in Spanish class. Qdoba Catering. Fresh, hot, easy, delicious. Order today. Hi, I'm Matt Vaskersian with another little-known legend of sports. Randy Bass had an undistinguished career in the majors, playing for five different teams and compiling a lifetime batting average of .212. In 1983, Bass joined Japan's Hanshin Tigers, and in 1985, he had the kind of year players dream about, winning the Triple Crown and MVP award and leading his team to its first Japan Series championship. 
Going into the final two-game series of the season against the Yomiuri Giants, Bass had 54 home runs, one shy of Sadaharu O's Japanese record of 55. But in those two games, Randy Bass didn't see a single pitch he could hit. In fact, he was walked six times in nine at-bats. Word later leaked out that Yomiuri pitchers were told they'd be fined if they threw any strikes to Bass, who at one point held his bat upside down at the plate to protest the shameful anti-American treatment that had been engineered by Yomiuri's manager, none other than the record holder himself, Sadaharu Oh. With another little-known legend of sports, I'm Matt Vaskersian. Liberty Mutual Insurance Company presents... Doug. And we're back with Limu, Emu, and Doug for the final question. Category is things you climb. All right, Limu, what do you think? You sure? We're going with Liberty Mutual customizes your car insurance so you only pay for what you need. Oh, so close. We were looking for stairs. Huh. Only pay for what you need. Liberty, 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 Liberty. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. Ugh, what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. What are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. It's been a long time since we've had an adventure in the forest. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. You're right. I should get out. Yeah, the forest is not that far away. Hey, Mom! Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Time to enter the Magic Kingdom. Denise, would you kindly clear the wheels? Okay, here we go. On three. One, two. Tweets and texts, faces and books. Tweets and texts and faces and books. Seems like it's more about FM and color TV. In such an age as this, is there any room left for something as simple as radio? We believe there is. Touchdown, Beaver! He's got a chance to go! Joe Beaver Show is on the air with Mike Parker and John Warren, two men on a mission to prove that AM radio is a viable and modern source for news and entertainment. So gather the whole family. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. If you don't have one, fret not. I'll have the management send you up a radio. Be a part of the triumphant return of amplitude modulation. This is the big one, boys. This is the one that brings us back. Soon, AM radio will reign king once more. <laughs> it's the Joe Beaver Show on the home of the beavers. Cool, cool beats. Beats. Kill me. 1240 Joe Radio. We head into the second hour on the Joe Beaver Show. Mike Parker with John Warren and trying to make connections with the executive director of the OSAA, Peter Weber. Along the way, a little bit later in Open Phones, a very good article, another in a series of good articles by Jason Quick on Damian Lillard. Those two have a good working relationship. Uh, Jason draws a lot out of Damian. Yeah. And the latest story on Quick's part is Damian Lillard over the last three weeks seeking out 
players and coaches, and now on his roster, Norman Powell, who was part of Toronto's championship team two years ago, asking the pointed questions, what set you guys apart? How do you get to the championship level? We've got to get there here in Portland. I want to get there here. So he's doing a, uh, an intensive research project, is Lillard, on what separates championship teams beyond mm. just the talent that you got to have. And he feels like they can go on a run now playing Denver. So we'll get into that a little interesting, bit Interesting, very so. interesting. All right, let's let's uh, let's start with Peter Weber, Executive Director of the OSAA. Peter, thanks for taking time out for us today here on the Joe Beaver Show. Last week was kind of a, a week of, well, let's touch base. But then I, I saw, and this, this rule may have been out for a long time. I didn't really notice it until a couple of days ago. And that was about, Peter, um wearing masks for the indoor sports. So let's just start, first of all, with the end of the school year coming close to it and where you are as a sports uh, body organization. And and is it different this year? than Well, it clearly is. How different is it, I should say, from this year to last year going into the summer? Will you have a summer or do you still have to work feverishly like you did last year to figure things out, or are you anticipating a normal fall? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, John. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, this, the summer is going to look a little bit different. It's going to look better than last summer when things were shut down, certainly. Um, and as we've seen more things open up, uh, both outdoors and, and then obviously some changes to the indoors, particularly around full contact sports like, like basketball, and wrestling is designated by the OHA, you know, those things are, are, are going to be better uh, this summer. You know, we're wrapping up this week uh, our season three, our traditional spring sports. So uh, golf, tennis, track, uh, baseball, softball are, are finishing up with some culminating week activities around the state, league tournaments, some regional stuff. There's some showcases and, and things like that that people are doing. Uh, as well, and then also today is the first day of contests for season four, uh, which includes wrestling, swimming, and basketball uh, as as indoor sports. So, yeah, a lot a lot happening right now. A lot of things going on, and, and obviously getting a lot of kids uh, out there able to participate. Will season three baseball outdoor sports, will they have a, a, a tournament or will they not because of the fairness of nobody else having a tournament? Yeah, so uh, not an OSA-sanctioned uh, championship. Again, some of the classifications, some of the leagues are putting things together lines, uh, but not an OSA-sanctioned um, championship. As things change, is the OSAA rules set? Or can they change if the the state rules change? Yeah, so pretty much all along, you know, we've been bound by the state mandates, uh, just like schools and businesses have been. Uh, so the, the guidance for sports coming from the governor's office and OHA, you know, we've followed that. We've gotten that information out to our schools, tried to clarify where we can. Uh, provide that information and resources and things like that. So as those things change, then then obviously the, the guidance changes as to what we're, we're telling schools. So, uh, you know, we've seen a couple of changes, as I mentioned, here in the, in the past few weeks where uh, the full 
contact indoor sports uh you know for the longest time were prohibited by the state yeah uh and then there were some changes to allow them uh and so obviously we we changed right with that and, and that's where we have again season four practices started last week and and contests starting this week now help me on this one there was a runner and i don't know if it was a runner in oregon or if this was a national story who collapsed at the at the finish line and then all of a sudden they came out and said no more masks for running in outdoor sports was that nationally and not the state of oregon if it was the state of oregon wouldn't they i don't understand the mask issue i know that's a big concern with coaches uh around the state per an article that i read um and it just makes sense. How can you huff and puff and do all of that with a mask on? And yet the uh, the state of Oregon, the CDC or what, whoever is in charge of that says they got to do that. Was there was that a national story with the runner or was that something in the state of Oregon? Well, it was, it was both. It was in the state of Oregon. It was a, a student at Summit High School. Uh, and, then, and then it kind of went national as a story. And again, those are. Those are the mandates, John, from the state, from OHA and the governor's office. They, after that incident, you know, they, there were some changes that were made. Uh, it wasn't a fully any outdoor sports. You, you don't have to wear a mask. It, they didn't go that far. Mm-hmm. But there were some changes for non-contact outdoor sports, your, your golf, your tennis, your track and field, et cetera. Um, where people could maintain six feet of distance, and they're you know they're able to not wear the mask. So ah. you saw some of that in in track meets and you know the the field events, and then in some of the running events. Depending on whether they're able to maintain that six feet of distance, you know kids were able to take the masks off or pull them down when they're running and things like that. I, this isn't really a question for you. I'm just throwing it out there. I wonder what the doctors say. I don't know that I've read anything that says what the doctors say about breathing into a mask heavily and not being able to get fresh air if that's too much carbon dioxide or, or, or what have you. But, um, yeah, I, I would, as a parent, be a little concerned about that. But, again, if it's the state doctors and, and epidemiologists, then they, you know, in theory, they're the ones who know what's, what's going on if they say kids can play with masks on. Yeah, and the, and the information, John, that we've been sharing with them, you know, for the last couple of months is is around, uh, you know, what other states have been doing. I mean, there are other states that have required masks to be worn, obviously for outdoor sports and, and, and for indoor sports as well. It varies by state. There's also a lot of states that haven't, um, you know, for a variety of reasons. So we've been sharing that information from uh, with them, you know, in some of the outdoor sports specifically, started back with cross country about states that said basically you know uh, students would need to wear the mask except for when they were running the actual race and you know and then they could pull it down and run the race and then when when they got back to the finish line you know they pull it back up and that yeah. type of thing um you know but to this point those are those are the mandates that are in place from the governor's office and, and oha obviously with last week's announcement by the cdc uh, you know, everybody, I think, in the state is waiting, not just for sports, but businesses and otherwise, waiting for new guidelines from OHA and what impact that will have moving forward for, you know, masks, for capacity limits, 
those types of things as as we move into, as you said, the end of the school year and into the summer. Yeah, they have the they had the announcement about no masks in buildings. But just this morning, when I went to get my caffeine, I, I wasn't sure. I carried it in. I said, "Am I supposed to have this thing on?" And the guy said, "Tomorrow, tomorrow, they're going to come out with information." Okay, well we we'll wait until tomorrow. Peter Weber joining us here, executive director of the uh, Oregon Schools Activities Association. Peter, in looking back. Now, we've talked to you throughout this entire process all the way back to a year ago. As it was moving along, it was a scramble. You're on phone calls, Zooming with uh, other guys from other people from different uh, athletic associations around the country. Has it all settled down? Are you still having to do that? Or you're in, you've got what your formula is going to be, and there will be a little bit of a summer before fall. And so you don't need to really touch base with your your colleagues around the country. No, you know, that part has settled down a little bit in terms of working with other states, you know, obviously keeping in contact with them. But, you know, really people are more focused on what's going on in their state at this point. When everybody was in the same boat a year ago and things were shut down and people were trying to figure out, okay, how do we get them back open? But now that things are are back open in a lot of states and and, and even back open here in Oregon to an extent, um, you know, the focus is more at your own state level as to what it looks like, what can be done. Um, so certainly a lot of challenges for, for schools and, and for the association this year. But I think the key for us has been as we start season four contests today that we will have been able to have, you know, each of our sports and activities. Now they look different certainly than they have in the past, but being able to, to go through the school year and offer those shortened seasons, you know, all the stipulations and things, but at least having kids have that opportunity to participate. Peter Weber joining us, Mike Parker with John Warren. Peter, this may be knowledge that uh, everyone has read about and has already tried to assimilate. I'm not aware of what the policy will be with respect to basketball and masks. Could you tell me what that is? And it just strikes me as if you got to wear them during games. That, <laughs> that seems untenable to me based on the difficulty of that sport and the exertion level and so on. What, what is the policy at this point? Yeah, the policy, again, might come from the OHA and the governor's office for indoor uh, uh, sports is that they need to wear the mask. So, again, that, there could be changes. I don't know what changes are coming. Um, there could be changes based on what the CDC came out with last week, but, but that's, the, that's the requirement that's been in place for a while. Uh, and remains in place for wrestling and basketball. Obviously, when you're swimming in the water, they, they don't have to wear a mask, um, you know, but those types of things. And, and again, you know, there have been a few other states that have had those requirements in place and, and had them in place during their seasons. Um, and certainly it's a challenge for people. We understand that. But, but again, we're under the, the guidance and the mandates from the OHA and the governor's office. And so, Peter, as far as you know, then, have coaches and programs, wrestling and basketball specifically, been practicing that way with masks to get used to it? Yes, our understanding okay. is that they have. And that's what they were doing in workouts and things before. And then once the full contact guidance changed from the state and they were allowed to you know, scrimmage and, and do full contact drills and, and, and things like that, um, 
Yeah, the, the requirement remains the same at this point. And no reports then of anything such as John asked you about in the poor, the track runner that collapsed perhaps due to a lack of proper oxygen intake and so on. What we, I guess none of us want, no one wants, is an incident in, in an indoor contact type sport that leads to, oh, I guess we better let them play without masks. You know what I'm saying? We don't want it to get to that level. No, absolutely not. Certainly we want kids to be safe and, and to participate, and those are the decisions, as John mentioned, that you know the governor's office and OHA are, are wrestling with and, and, and making those decisions. There was a, a situation last week in, in Prineville with a, a student uh, practicing basketball uh, where there was an issue, and I know that the state is aware of that. I've seen communication on that go through as well. So certainly those things are front of mind for people as they look at those um, decisions and, and what's going to be done and again uh, waiting to see what what the oha comes out with in terms of that uh, potential revised guidance the last few minutes with peter weber executive director of the osaa kind enough to join us on the joe beaver show peter have you found through the last 63 64 weeks that we've been in this strange world have have you through your offices or through working with parents and coaches affected any sort of awareness or change in in Salem and in terms of the guidelines and rules and bringing forth issues that maybe there wasn't enough consideration of or a full understanding of from the perspective you've brought to it where you've actually affected maybe a little bit of how things have been laid out in terms of what you're allowed to do. Have you had some effect on that process? We, we believe that we have, again, not as much of an impact as, as certainly we would have liked to have had, but I think a lot of people can say that around the state in terms of uh, wanting changes in certain policies and mandates and not necessarily seeing those. But, no, we feel like we have the, the impact of coaches and parents and, and, you know, the association trying to, to impact change at the state level and seeing that and some of the guidance we've seen guidance that has come out throughout the past 14 months that when it comes out, we go back to the state and say, hey, this, you know, this needs to be looked at, this needs to be uh, potentially changed, uh, et cetera, or something was left off or those types of things. So, no, we believe that we have impacted some change uh, and we'll continue to try and uh, advocate in that arena as well. Uh, for for changes moving forward. Peter, have other activities taken place like choir competitions and, and uh, cheerleaders and, and science and anything else that uh, has people getting together? No, the, the, we did some um, uh, culminating week activities in like cheer and dance, for example, uh, but they were, you know, teams uh, basically performing on their own, either submitting virtually with videos uh, you know, that was kind of the focus there. We did have a speech state championship that was all done virtually. Uh, the music events are coming up later this month. But, again, those are doing, uh, going to be uh, submissions in a virtual sense. So not, not any type of in-person, um, you know, state championship. And this is not your area, but I'm just curious if you've heard anything because I haven't. Are schools going to go back to in-person um, graduations again. I know this isn't your area, but just being around high school, have you heard anything? Yeah, so it's it's going to vary. There's some guidance from the Oregon Department of Education around graduations. I'm sure 
just like with you know some of the potential revised guidance with regards to sports that with the CDC's announcement last week there could be some changes coming to potential graduation guidance for schools as well. Yeah. Um, so all the, again, that, that's all through through ODE and, and the state. How do you feel about the seasons you've had? You say you're in season four. So how do you feel about how the, the one, two, and three went? You know, again, they, they, they weren't ideal. Uh, they were challenging. But, but I think, that, again, the bottom line for us is that kids were able to participate. So, you know, seasons two and three specifically with the fall and the spring sports. They were shortened seasons, you know, six-week seasons, but kids were able to get out there, engage with their peers, engage with their coaches, et cetera. We've heard great stories and, and anecdotal things about the impact that it's had on kids, um, academics, uh, on their attendance, et cetera. All things that we hear about in a traditional school year, obviously this has not been a traditional school year, but I think keep coming back to the opportunities and the participation that is available and has been there for students. And, again, continuing that here in Season 4 as we as we finish out the school year. And the final thing from me, Peter, have you had much evidence of parents and families crossing state lines, leaving the state to go compete in their activities and sports elsewhere? Is that a, a significant number? Is it an isolated number of instances that you're aware of, or have you seen quite a bit of that? Well, I, we know that it takes place, Mike. I, I don't know if we have we have any specific data on it, but we know that it takes place uh, in various sports. People travel into other states to play those types of things, um, you know. But we don't have any statistical okay. data on that, you know, to say whether it would be significant or not. Okay. And the last thing from me, Peter, and we appreciate your time, is early on when there were, you know, you guys were working. It, diligently to get the kids to be able to be on the court, you know, on the field and the participation part of it. I know that the OSAA really, that's, that was all, all of what it's about. Get them out there as best we can. Let's come up with a way to keep doing it. But as decisions were being made and you guys were laying things out, there were, you know, all kinds of second guessing and questioning, which just happens everywhere in life. Were you able to kind of quell that? In in other words, I know the message was we're going by what the OHA says. We're going by what the state standards are, and we're doing the best we can with that because you're not really making those decisions. The state's making the call. Did the pressure relieve itself? Did people understand, okay, it's it's coming from the state? Yeah, I think it's like anything else, John, that, that, that there were people who understood the way that those decisions were made. There were people... Uh, that maybe understood and didn't really care because they were focused on what was best, in, you know, for their students and things like that, which certainly I understand as a parent myself. And then there are people, I think, who just, you know, didn't really care and, and, and didn't understand the way that those were made. Yeah. So it's, it comes with the territory. It's part of how it works. And, again, you know, our, our focus is on trying to, to provide those opportunities and working with the schools. As you said, working within the mandates uh, that we're required to work with. We really appreciate having you on. It's always good. You have great answers, and uh, and we get a lot of questions in. I love that. Peter, best to uh, to you and, and the rest of the gang. I, I know uh, a lot of you there, Kyle and, and everybody. Uh, it's not easy, but you guys got through it, and I know down here it was great to see the kids. I didn't see much of it, but I know that – that they got on the football field and they're in track. I have a friend who coaches. 
up in the Beaverton area, and um, I just think it's fantastic what you were able to pull off this year. Well, again, it was it was a lot of work by a lot of schools, so the administrators, athletic directors, coaches, and I think the focus was on uh, was on the students, and that, and that's why it's worked out. Great job, thanks, Peter. Okay, thanks, guys. All right, there you go. That's Peter Weber, executive director of the OSAA, joining us here on the program. Really appreciate his time, and it's it's not an easy thing. I mean, there is everybody in, in a second guessing. Well, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? That's how it was early on. But once I think once they got that first season underway, spring and or uh, fall sports underway, uh, it may have calmed down a little bit. And the kids got out there and, and got to play, which is really cool. We're going to take a break and come back with more phone calls, your thoughts, ideas. What do you think, of, again, about this last weekend series? What's coming up tomorrow night, University of Portland, and, and the baseball season as a whole. And then, of course, Mike wants to talk, too, about the Blazers and Damian Lillard and his quest to do research on how, how can we make this happen here in Portland. I think if you have really good players and a coach that can put it all together, that's how you do it. Uh, is there more to it than that? I don't know. 1226 this afternoon, you're listening to The Joe Beaver Show on 1240 Joe Radio. Unified Insurance Group is your local independent insurance agency in Corvallis. They represent numerous insurance companies and specialize in auto, home, and business insurance. See Mike Eaves, Taylor Starr, and Tom Worth. They'll help find an insurance plan that works best for you. So if you're looking for auto, home, or business insurance, see the Unified Insurance Group. 320 Southwest 3rd Street in downtown Corvallis. They're your hometown team. Always putting you first. Locally owned and operated for over 30 years, Corvallis Floor Covering would like to thank their many friends and customers for your continued support and looks forward to working with you on your next remodeling project. Stop by and see Wendy, Robin, or Brian and check out their large showroom with a wide variety of carpet, vinyl, laminate, tile, wood floorings, and window coverings from all the popular brands. Corvallis Floor Covering is at the corner of 2nd and Van Buren downtown or log on to CorvallisFloorCovering.com. Shop local, shop Corvallis Floor Covering, and go Beeves! Middleton Heating has served the Mid-Valley for over 72 years and is still here to help you 24 hours a day. Middleton can repair, replace, or maintain all types of heating and cooling equipment. AC causing you trouble? Need repairs or replacement? Give Middleton Heating a call. For new equipment, Middleton offers several financing options and participates in state, federal, and manufacturer incentive programs. And don't forget Middleton's custom sheet metal shop is still taking orders, large or small. You can count on Middleton for all your heating, cooling, and sheet metal needs online at middletonheating.net. It's the Sea-Doo Ready to Ride event at Power Motorsports. Find your definition of fun on the water with our lineup of incredible rides, including our new performance-driven Sea-Doo RXPX. It's the perfect ride to accelerate into adventure and zip through the sea. Visit Power Motorsports and let our experts help you find the right Sea-Doo for your lifestyle. Your Sudo life starts at Power Motorsports in Sublimity. Online at PowerMotorsports.com. Is there ever a reason you wouldn't want to feel confident? <laughs> I didn't think so. At the Natty Dresser in downtown Albany, confidence is exactly what we want to inspire. When you wear quality clothing that fits you perfectly, you feel great and act with confidence. 
Don't just dress for where you are. Dress for where you want to be. The Natty Dresser. Purveyors of quality menswear on the corner of 2nd and Broad Alvin Street in historic downtown Albany. Dress well. Be confident. Find success. Howdy, folks. Linda McHenry here to tell you what you need to know about Eats and Treats Cafe in Philoma. We serve up just darn good comfort food, serious barbecue, and amazing baked goods from our on-premise bakery. And we serve it up in three different ways. Takeout order with curbside pickup, dine inside with advanced reservations, and alfresco dining outside along our covered breezeway. That's Eats and Treats Cafe on the corners of 17th and Main Streets in Philomath. Hi, I'm former Oregon State athlete Tim Ewis, your Corvallis Edward Jones financial advisor. Financial investments are very important, but so are the investments of time, patience, and encouragement our young athletes receive from their coaches, teachers, and mentors. That's why Edward Jones is a proud sponsor of Oregon State and area high school sports. Call me, Tim Ewis, at 541-758-8245 or stop by my office in the Timber Hill Shopping Complex in Corvallis for all of your investment needs. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. Go Beeves. It started years ago <laughs> when he called them daydreams, and they've never gone away. Images of him riding in a championship parade in downtown Portland, right down Broadway, just like Bill Walton and Maurice Lucas did amid a sea of fans in June 1977, after the Blazers' only NBA title. On Sunday, after the Blazers secured the sixth seed in the West to set up a best of seven with third-seeded Denver, Damian Lillard went back to that dream, back to Broadway. Quote, I can't express my desire and how bad I want to win it, Lillard said. I want that more than anything. Not just to say I won a championship, but I want to do it in this city. I want to have a parade on Broadway and ride past El Gaucho, the steakhouse. (laughs) That's what I think of. Every time the playoff is starting, I'm going into it like, is this going to be the year that we shock the world or that we come up big? That's Damian Lillard quoted by Jason Quick in The Athletic today. But beyond just expressing to Jason those dreams and the daydreams and the images of the parade on Broadway, John, you were 12, right? Or about to be 12? Yes, 12 years old. Well, 11 and yeah, yeah about to be Going 12. on 12 in 77. Do you remember that day? Were you, I mean, did you vividly. Celebrate? Okay, vividly, but did you try to get like I would have at your age? Mom, Dad, you said your folk, your dad wasn't into sports at all to try to get down there. No, no. That, what, that didn't come up. That was the only thing we didn't try to do. We did everything. But we, your family, your dad was aware of it and yeah, knew it and got yeah, into it. Yeah, but uh, mostly I spent my time with two other and two other friends for every game, we were 12, so we had to go oh, yeah. to each other's house, you know. That means sure. getting a drive over there. What, what are you going? Well, we're going over for the Bla- the Blazer game. And we spent every game together as a group at that game or uh, during that series. 
but I don't remember any effort to to go downtown, which was good because it was a madhouse. It was a madhouse. Right. It was an absolute madhouse, and the fact that Bill Walton tried to ride his bike and it got stolen, and it but got then stolen returned. and returned. The beautiful story. Um, and and I remember all of it vividly, and the the whole experience of all of that, and it was so joyous for a nearly twelve year old boy. Yeah. And then blazers win and big black bold at the top of the paper. Even my grandmother commented on it. And Granny, as I used to call her, she didn't know anything about sports. What was her comment? Hey, the blazers She said, oh, my friend Pearl and I were talking about this. I guess it's very exciting. I remember her saying that. She was very involved in, you know, musical clubs and these things. And very old school. I mean, she was sure. born, you know, almost in 1800, not, uh, you know, the turn of the century. And and so this was big. This is huge. It was so big. It, it it garnered comment from my grandmother. From people that just generally don't. We're not a... into it at all. Yeah. Now, things that start to swell up will get comment from like my dad, who's, by the way, his birthday is today and he's never listening. So I won't give him a shout out. Oh, 85. And, 85, and, and listener Mike from Seattle's birthday is today. Mike uh, let me know that this morning, and he, I don't know if he's reporting. Oh, he's at the Cleellum uh, Regional. He's on the golf course. Yeah, oh, he's, he's at the regional? I think he's at a regional there. Nice. <clears throat> and he's the one who, who reminded me to check out the Beaver men's score. The Beaver right now, the Beavers are, what did I say, in a tie for uh, second, in second place in Albuquerque as a team. One stroke back. And Jackson Lake and Spencer Tibbetts are tied for second in the individual rounds. Yeah. But Blazers, unbelievable. What do you want to know? I'll tell you anything you want to know about that time period. And you watched the game with friends that early <laughs> Sunday. Yes. Into the early afternoon. Yes, yes. I remember them not going to the locker room and going yeah. to the Kemper so Open. So you were part of the outrage that yes. was directed towards CBS. That's right. Not the to the to the uh, the wording that was used, uh, you know, <laughs> um, on the television. There was a lot of uh, potty well, mouth words. Though. There was a lot of anger because they just cut away. They yeah. cut away from the to Larry the Kemper o- Open to the Kemper Open, and I never forgot it. Yeah. As the Kemper Open would come up every June and, and uh, you know, for years. And, in fact, I remember when they, they replayed the game on, it had to have been local network TV, like Channel 12, in Portland. Because, you know, my senior year in high school, which was spring of 83, so we're talking six years, right? Six years later, which at that time seemed like an eternity. Sure. And they replayed the championship game on one of the local channels up in Portland. And I remember watching it and reliving it all so many years later. From the age of 12 to the age of 18, you know, it might as well be 50 years in maturity and awareness, if you will. And so it was just like, whoa, you know, look at this. And it it was a huge deal. Now, it seems to have faded, but I'll say this. What seems to have faded? I, I the would, memory of that the, the day? Memory the memory of the day and the accomplishment, it's not brought up. It's hardly spoken of. On the national scene, they never talk about it. And that's mostly because Portland's not playing on the main stage. But even when they are, uh, I don't know that, that it's really ever talked about. Portland won an NBA championship. Now, about 
11 or 12 years ago, there was a, a little window of time, as you remember, that I was going up to Portland to do some Blazer broadcasts, host the pregame show and the postgame show and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. There was one game where it was a Sunday afternoon and the Philadelphia 76ers came to town. And I have this one best friend who is a great supporter. And so, you know, I'd come up and he lives in Westland and he'd listen to the game and 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 he he commented to me, I don't know if it was on Twitter or text, <laughs> I don't know what was going 12 years ago, but I remember saying to open the broadcast, on this broadcast I would write out the open. And you're the first voice yes, people Yes, the very first voice. Yes, in on Blazer broadcast. Yes, for good that afternoon, day. ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, Welcome to, to Portland right. Trail Blazers basketball. Right. And which is a... In a, as a childhood dream, a dream come true. Now, the dream would be to say, wheels move, I need to right. sit in your seat there. But that wasn't going to happen. But in my intro open, I wrote in it, and this came from the heart. I wrote something in the line, I don't remember exactly how it went, to the tune of, it's always special when Philadelphia comes to town. Mm-hmm. Now, there's some some guys hosting shows in Portland who aren't old enough to even know really the nuances of that sentence. Right. right. And my friend Jamie said that that ah, I was touched by that open because mm. he and I went through it together. Sure. It's always special. Mm. Now that was a statement for anybody I don't know forty and over, forty five <laughs> and old, older, right. because. You know why I I wrote it in there? Because I didn't wrote, write the open until an hour before broadcast. I'm sitting up there and I'm watching them warm up. And I'm seeing the 76ers uniforms. And I hadn't been to a Blazer game in years or seen a game in in, in person in years. Because my my stuff down here, working here and doing college, it's all about beavers here. So this whole Blazer connection I ever had, long gone. And it was deep. Now it's long gone. So I'm watching this, them warm up, and that's when it hit yeah. me. That's when it hit me. It's like, wow, look at that. That's the 76ers in the dark blue uniforms. And, and it just took me right back to age 12 yeah. and uh, A special you know, time World Be Free, Doug Collins, yeah. Daryl Dawkins. Mm-hmm. Dr. J. Dr. J, absolutely. Yeah, good for you. I'm glad. I mean, that will always, that type of, the thing I like about Damien who wasn't born then. No. And I like the fact that he's aware of it. He knows of the parade right. on Broadway. He's envisioned that for his own life. And according to Quick Story today in The Athletic, what is different this season and with this most recent dream is there is more perspective behind the images in Lillard's mind. Behind the scenes, Lillard, Lillard has been gathering intel on what goes into becoming a champion. He's talked to a championship coach. He sought out players who've won titles. And one of those recently, Norman Powell, joined his team. Quote, he kept bringing it up that I have a championship and I know what it takes. Powell said, Damien, referring to you, you know what it takes. Tell me about it. And he just started talking about how badly he wants to win and bring a championship to Portland. So Damien has a guy in Powell who won – a championship two years ago, and so he's picked his brain. What did? You, and <laughs> I find that interesting because I do. I, I think Damien does have a quest. He loves the Blazers and the organization and wants to win a championship here. He's not. I don't know. 
if he's going to chase one, you know, per se. I don't think he is, or he would have by now. Some of the veteran players late in their lives would leave the teams they'd been with all their lives to go get a championship, and you get that. Yeah. But somehow it just feels like it's a quest, a grail for Damian that he wants to bring to Portland, and I like that. So what is the answer to that? Because outside of great players and and good coaching, to put it all together, and then, of course, luck, what what could be – a fourth uh, ingredient. I, I honestly don't know outside of that. You just you're really good players and well, a really good yeah. coach. Good players and get on a run. Lillard said, I asked him what I asked all the people who had been part of a championship. What was the separator for that championship team to be able to make that run? What did it take? What was different in that year, in uh-huh. that run, uh-huh. from a past run? And You know, it's interesting because as the article goes along, one of the things that comes comes up is, and it's the the thing that's been saddling this Blazer team for years. Well, it's the teams that defend best. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) so that. But but I like the fact that Damian is in a quest to gain as much knowledge. (laughs) As he can. And here's Lillard and Powell had one of their talks recently. And Damien said, quote, a lot of what he said was pretty much stuff I've heard before. But there was one thing he kept saying, you got to (laughs) defend. He was talking about how teams end up in the half court in the playoffs and you have to defend. Yeah. And once you get your stops, then you have people on your team who can get you to the basket, get you a basket when you need a basket. But when it comes down to it, you have to consistently defend. And I, I don't know. Are they capable of doing it? That's the question is, can you turn that on? I don't think you can. If it's not ingrained in you. Well, the thing is, though, and Quick makes the argument when he was on the show recently, we'll, we'll take a final break here. If you have any thoughts, if you are a casual, ardent just now becoming, because the playoffs are here, observer of Blazer basketball. I agree with you that you can't necessarily just turn it on and suddenly erase 60 games of uh, a lack of interest on Mm -hmm. defense. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to get into it now. But the very commitment to try to be better on defense has served Lillard well, and uh, Quick wrote about it. And then we talked to him about how Damian, on that last long road trip, when people had written them off and talked the Blazers off, they'd lost 10 of 13, 5 straight, and were being written off and talked off by all of the talk shows. They're done. They may not even right. make. I mean, they, they make the playoffs. Whatever, they're done. They're done, right? And, they, and Stotts has lost the team. And yeah. Players don't care. They're not playing without their usual passion and heart. Well, then they ripped off what? No, they, they they got hot. I mean, and they're they're playing their best basketball right now, going into the postseason, and they're healthier than they've ever been. So suddenly, a team that was written off and talked off a month ago is kind of back in the well, I, picture that a guy on Rome's show today said, I could make a case for when, when Romy asked the guy who's coming out of the East and West. He took Brooklyn in the East, and he said in the West, he kind of hemmed and hawed and said, ah, the Lakers have the most talent, so I can't. Uh, Denver, uh, I could make a case for Denver, but he said I could make a case for Portland. 
Uh, he did finally settle. It wasn't on, Charles, was it? No, he settled on Utah. I think coming out. No, I don't know who. It well, was. Utah's got the best record in the league. Phoenix, second right. best record in the league, and Portland was right there, beating Utah and then blowing it so really the, against that's Phoenix. That's where the Blazers have come. So that yeah. as the playoffs begin, you have a national pundit saying, "I could make a case for Portland coming out of the West." When five, six weeks ago, people were. We're worried about whether they would even make the playoffs. I know, and but we, you know, we've talked a lot about the Blazers this year on this program, and it seems like every two weeks they're they're oh, they're hotter than ever, right. and then they're 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 done several times, not just this last roller coaster part, but a, a lengthy roller coaster ride with this Blazers team, and and uh, just this morning after last night's game, Terry Stotts was. He's just real sour. He's sour. <laughs> every question and every answer, even when when complimented, yeah. you know, he's he's just sour. And I don't know, um, seems to me he's always been that way, but he's just this year more than ever. And he himself, when asked, how do you feel about how you're, you're, you're playing going in? He said, good. And then he went on a long, long time diatribe about the season and it to me it was wrought with excuses and complaints about everyone's against us you know we (laughs) we we did it despite xyz not true but but that's what he did and i thought oh that's too bad and so but it is interesting i'd really like to know what the answer to that question from damien was what what are the elements besides great players and good coaching and luck? Well, as as we go to break, back to well, the, the thing that he said Powell kept coming back to. Oh, defense. Got defend. Yeah, defense. Well, then there's the nothing revelatory there, but they are, they have played better defense, and Nurkic a healthier Nurkic is helping them be better on defense. So as we go to break, we don't talk about these things much, but a couple of things. Do any of you remember June 5 of 77, like John does, where you took that game in? Anybody here listening, part of the parade and the scene, I like the vision. I like the vision. Yeah. And the other thing, too, that Damien said near the end of the article that, I, that I've always enjoyed, a quote uh, from that was always attributed to St. Augustine, and uh, Augustine supposedly said, I had a professor at Oregon who said that he said it, and I've never been able to find it, and believe me, no human of the modern time has read everything Augustine wrote, and I certainly haven't, but I've read a little bit of his stuff, and like what I read, some of it, not all of it, but admire him, like him, huge figure in the history of the West, But Augustine supposedly said, according to this professor, I can point the finger, but I can't supply the vision. It's a good line. It's a good, I can point the finger, but I can't supply the vision. Lillard kind of gets to that at the end of the story about about trying to win a championship. That he says... What does that mean? Well, that's a good question. What does it mean? I think it means you can talk all you want to about, well, here's what you need to do. Here's uh-huh. the form. Here's what you got to do to to have the quest and the desire to win a championship. I can point you to different things, but can I supply that? In, I can't supply the inspiring vision. That's got to come somewhere mm-hmm. within you or somewhere else. From I, each guy. It can't come from a coach. A t- exactly. And here's what Lillard at the end of the story says, quote, 
People who've won in the past, players and coaches I've spoken to over the last few weeks, say the same thing. You can lead a team to get it done, <laughs> but everybody has to believe it, and you really have to push that. That's where my head is. I want it for the city. I want it for myself. I want it for the team. We've done everything else. We should be excited to be back in this playoff, this tournament, to have a chance to win it again. He's kind of saying you, you can talk about it, you can lead a team to get it done, but everybody's got to believe well, it. And point the finger. Haven't we heard that from Coach Tinkle? And they did. The yes. team themselves did come together and went on that great run to the Elite Eight. That's, that's right. I think this Blazer team does have some interesting, intriguing parts, and I think it's going to be a fun Just when I'm ready to, to say they're yep. done, they come back. Anybody on that, the Mariners weekend, the Beaver Baseball weekend, anything else you want to jump in with, would love to hear any comments about the, the live stream feed from Arizona State and how it went and what it was like to watch the games. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to jump in with, 497-5356-1240, Joe Radio. We set them up, you knock them down. Tired of staying home? Are you ready to get out and enjoy an activity that is safe and fun? Join a summer league at Highland Bowl. Check out their league schedule at highlandbowl.com and find a day and time that's just right for you and your friends. Don't be left in the gutter. Join a summer league at Highland Bowl today. Highland Bowl, North 9th Street in Corvallis. We set them up, you knock them down. This is Mike Parker for Evenflow Plumbing, your trusted award-winning plumber for the Mid-Valley. Evenflow specializes in complete plumbing and drain cleaning solutions for residential and commercial jobs. They treat your home like it's their home, and their flat rate pricing means no surprises at the end of the job. Evenflow takes pride in doing the job right the first time. Just call 541-738-8853 for all your plumbing needs. When you need a pro, go with the flow. Evenflow Plumbing. Right now at your local Domino's, you can carry out any size pizza with unlimited toppings for only $12.99 when ordering to carry out at the store, by phone, or online with a C12 code. Also, Domino's is now hiring for all positions. Domino's offers flexible hours, pay raises, and bonuses for managers and drivers leave with cash in their pocket after every shift. Apply online at Domino's.com or stop by the Domino's store in Monmouth, Staten, Lebanon, Albany, or Corvallis. Domino's, delivering oven-baked goodness since 1960. Is there ever a reason you wouldn't want to feel confident? <laughs> I didn't think so. At the Natty Dresser in downtown Albany, confidence is exactly what we want to inspire. When you wear quality clothing that fits you perfectly, you feel great and act with confidence. Don't just dress for where you are, dress for where you want to be. The Natty Dresser, purveyors of quality menswear on the corner of 2nd and Broad Albany Street in historic downtown Albany. Dress well, be confident, find success. Have you tried to trade in or sell your RV? Was the offer from the RV dealer embarrassingly low? Garrity will give you $500 if we can't beat any Oregon dealer's written offer on your late model RV in good condition. My name is Tanya and I live in Harrisburg. We used our trailer a few times last fall and it was just too small for our family. Guarantee made us a good faith offer for our RV that we couldn't refuse. Now we have the perfect RV and the kids love the bunk beds. Trailers, fifth wheels, 
toy haulers, motorhomes. They all qualify for Cash for Campers. My name is Chet, and I live in Eugene. Guarantee made it so easy. They picked up my old RV and swapped it out for a brand new one with plenty of storage and a beautiful new kitchen. Uh, they even paid off my existing loan. Text sell my RV to 55678 for special offers or visit guarantee.com. That's sell my RV to 55678. Guarantee RV. Here to help you sell or trade your RV with no hassles and no gimmicks. Happy with your job? Looking for more than just a job? Build a career with Antec. Enjoy competitive pay, full benefits, health insurance, 401k, tuition reimbursement, and much more. Antec is growing and wants you to be part of their team. From welders, electricians, and CNC machinists to HR generalists, accounts payable specialists, and more. To see a complete list of all available positions and job requirements, visit Entech.com under the Employment tab. That's E-N-T-E-K.com or call for more details. Entech is an equal opportunity employer. All right, welcome back to the Joe Beaver Show here on a, on a Monday. Now, two weeks from today... Well, that'll be it. <laughs> It'll be Memorial Day. So yeah. this is it. This week and next week. Mm-hmm. And we got one Mariner midday game. I think it's this Thursday. All right. So Friday, Kelnick makes his debut. Not quite, you know, not the bl- the blast that everybody thought. Same with Gilbert, right? Logan Gilbert. Yeah. Right. Okay. So we move then to, uh, that was Thursday, to Friday, game two. And he goes three for four, two runs. Um, three RBIs, including a home run, and I think he had two doubles. Two doubles, a home run, and he's just, ah, oh, and they're going crazy. I'm listening to every game now, and it's all about Kelnick, and he was on the post-game show that uh, Scott Service was listening to while driving home, <laughs> and he said, I like it, because the kid was saying, I just want to I just want to gut the opponent. I want to step Ooh. on him. I want to, you know, in, in this this stuff Seriously? yeah he was nice. fiery okay. talking about his um his own uh, sense of uh competitive juices and scott service tells uh tells him the next day ah, i love that i loved hearing that but then saturday and sunday he went over five both okay. days well he'll get a chance to further gut the opponent with the detroit tigers coming in but i too like that and i was a little bit uh, intrigued by i don't know if any of you heard the conversation yesterday with ryan gibson before the game on the pregame show with respect to bryant salgado there was a uh, a little skirmish verbal uh, confrontation of sorts after an inning ending double play ball justin boyd who hadn't played the outfield before plays both corner positions and handled himself well justin made a catch and left through back to first and they doubled up the runner in the saturday game with the the beavers were down big and sean mcclain had hit the ball if you watch that live stream moment at the end of that play mm-hmm. salgado was fired up i mean he was hot and kind of yelling some things directed towards an, either an Arizona State player specifically or the Arizona State dugout. I don't – not being there and not having had a chance to get it fully explained by Mitch or Ryan, even though Ryan gave me a little bit of insight to it, what Ryan said was, and it reminds me of what you're saying, Service's reaction to hearing Kelnick talk about, I just want to <laughs> – but did he use the word gut? It was um, 
Just yeah, I think so. Okay. Was it a well, gut or step on the throat? I can't yeah, remember. Step on the throat. Of the it, it was and, colorful yeah. language to say. I, I want to win. Yeah. I like it. Leo DeRocher on Jackie Robinson. I can't quote it fully and, and as uh, eloquently and colorfully as Leo the Lip used about Jackie when Leo was managing against Jackie. Leo just said, as the manager of the San Fran- of New York Giants playing the Brooklyn Dodgers, he says, Robinson doesn't, Robinson doesn't come to just beat you. He doesn't just come to beat you. Yeah. He comes to shove the bat up uh, a certain area. <laughs> and that's how he plays the game, and I like it. That's Leo the Lip DeRocher well, talking about one of the great competitors ever in the fiery Jackie Robinson. So to see Bryant Salgado at the end of the inning the other day, and I think the Beaver dugout had taken exception to the location of a fastball off the ear hole of Wade Meckler standing in the left side of the box in that Saturday game. Uh, and, you know, again, that's all Ryan said. He wasn't saying that the, that the kid fall, Justin Fall, the lefty, was doing it intentionally to, he stopped short of that, uh-huh. but whatever the case, a fastball up in the helmet of Meckler didn't sit well with the Beaver guys. Salgado didn't throw at anybody, per se. Uh, well, he, he did throw a breaking ball that hit uh, the slugger, Ethan Long, but but he you know, that's different than a fastball at the helmet. So that brings us to yesterday, and I didn't have the audio on. Kim and I were talking okay. in the in the TV. We didn't, and the ASU guy just gets being right in the side of the head. Yes, he did. Now, I just figured it was an accident. Everything's cool. And who was on Mitchell Verber? So and Mitchell Verberg came up. Yeah, absolutely, to him a of times. he did too. When the when the game was over, the final out, he that. was on second base and he no, went over Mitchell and talked was to him. Moving back beyond the mound but i didn't know about what you're talking about from saturday so that changes maybe i don't know you know again i don't but it was uh, it was scary i I stopped yeah it was that that was firm and i'm glad that long was okay yeah just as i'm glad that meckler i think was okay i know he stayed in the game that night he didn't play yesterday i don't know anything about it about what his current condition is or whether he was out of the game for matchup reasons, the Beavers clearly had a nice approach yesterday offensively, hit four home runs yeah. and one big, so there was nothing wrong with the lineup and so on. It, it produced and, and produced in a big way. But the point that Gibson made about Salgado was, when I asked him about that whole incident, I said, what do you make of it, Ryan? He said, well, Bryant was being a great Beaver in that situation. That's how I think about it. So that's Ryan loving the competitive fire and juice that Salgado showed just to service whatever he was hearing Kelnick say. And that's the thing about Kelnick and these guys getting called up from the minor leagues. That competitive fire, one of the players that got called up recently was saying, and I know the Mariner announcers made a big deal out of it, I think we all heard the same thing, about these guys coming up from the minor leagues and now playing in a major league game where winning is all. We're yeah. going to win this game. Yeah. We're not here now to get to reps or develop and, right. and do all of that. And they said they missed that. One of the players said, I missed it from my college days. I mean, when we were all in every game, every yeah. inning, we're trying to win this game. 
And in the minor leagues, sometimes that can, that can take a backseat to a lot of other things. The Mariners say that they try to foster a, a little bit of this whole Lillard quest. How do you win? How do you get to the championship level? What are the things you do? And it sounds like Kelnick is bringing with yeah. him that attack bulldog. And I bet down in Tacoma or wherever else he's played, Development, yeah, I know that's paramount, but he's trying to win the baseball game that he's in. Yeah. And he takes that with him to the big leagues. It's, I like it's it. great. It's great to bring it to. Uh, you have information on some movement by, well, it's by the team. I it, can't believe it. It reminds me a little bit of the Beavers in 2000 in football. Yeah. Losing to the Huskies and moving up four <laughs> spots in one of the pulls. I remember that. Well, so the latest RPIs, RPI rankings are out for baseball. Arkansas remains number one. Texas two, Fairfield three in the RPI, Vanderbilt four, TCU five, Arizona at number six, coming to Goss Stadium at Coleman Field this weekend. Heck, if the Beavers sweep the series, they might move to number one (laughs) based on... Well, based on this week, they might drop to number 30. So Mississippi State 7, Texas Tech 8, Tennessee 9, East Carolina 10, South Carolina 11, Ole Miss 12, Notre Dame 13, Oklahoma State 14, Oregon 15. Oregon had been 10. It tells you it so it so much on the RPI depends on who you play and in this yeah. case Oregon goes or hosts Washington. Uh, that was two weeks ago. Now, who did they play this past? Well, destroyed Utah. Utah. In Salt Lake City. Yeah, yeah. Just destroyed them. Yeah. They were number 10 going into that series and come out number 15. <laughs> I know. it's Now you got Arizona and Stanford coming up. You only get better. Right. So the Beavers were number 24 going into the weekend in the RPI and finished the week after losing the series at yeah. ASU at number 19. That's beautiful. So That's the Beavers beautiful. are 19th in the RPI, and win a series this weekend against Arizona, move up some more, and bolster your And, your and right now, position. golf is number one in first Great place. Dude. See you tomorrow. Golf set, please. Here's the microphone. Is this thing on? This is KEJO Corvallis. Everybody hear me? We're on in five. And QID. 1240 Joe Radio.